Welcome to episode 129 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Hey, John. For our podcast topic this week, we're going to chat about crowdfunding and its place in our innovation ecosystem. Crowdfunding is great for testing markets and launching new product categories, uh, but for all its benefits, it also comes with some high-risk potential. Just recently, a well-known and and funded drone project, the Robotic Dragonfly, uh, disintegrated when uh, they were unable to meet their uh, criteria for you know shipping uh, product to to the uh, uh, folks who had given the money on Indiegogo, I believe it was. Um, it was an early success story uh, with crowdfunding, uh, with over a million dollars in pledges, and you know they're they're not going to ship their product, or it's very unlikely that they're going to. John, I smell lawsuits. <laughs> I I don't know about that, but it's. Uh, it's it's interesting because I think this um, this dragonfly drone project really encapsulates a lot of, about what is good and what is bad about crowdfunding. So on the good side, I'd argue that you've got um, this space for innovation that entrepreneurs with ideas, good or bad, can leverage, test the market, and then experiment and 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 sort of get to market quickly, hopefully with the money that they've acquired there. On, on, the, on the bad side of it, um, you've got this money coming into potentially inexperienced uh, folks who on the business side may not know what they're doing, whereas maybe they really understand the technology part or you know, maybe they're product people, but they don't have the business people. I don't know uh, what the circumstances might be. But it's really a um, sort of the yin and yang of, of crowdfunding. So you have this very cool uh, potential product. And at the same time, you have this this flame out. Um, and we see that happen over and over again. Um, I know that, you know, sometimes they, they come out successfully, but but the uh, creative flame outs seem to be happening a lot, too. What's your what's your take on uh, uh, on that? Yeah, it's it's true. You know, I mean, crowdfunding, it's it's wonderful and exciting because people are putting up ideas that are new enough that you know, they haven't gone through a big corporation yet. So they're typically much more timely, much more present, perhaps more ahead of the curve. And in theory, also, crowdfunding gives you as a purchaser the opportunity to support a creator who otherwise couldn't get their product out there and, and connect with them more, more directly. Um, the, the problem is that crowdfunding is really a mixed bag um, as something that is sort of the Wild West. Anybody can kind of put it up there and, and roll with it. Um, you know, you get a real, real mixed sense of, of results. So, you know, your example, which is one that won't even ship, others that ship but are, are pretty crummy, or um, you know, probably the most common case is that things ship very late, but they they do ship and in some condition. Um, I don't know. You know, I I have more experience with, of course, the the board game side of crowdfunding, and so I know that very well. What I've seen is that really mature into. Um, a really just a retail marketplace, for lack of a better way to put it. So in the beginning, it was the anonymous, unknown people who were getting funded. And um, I don't want to say easily funded. I don't think that's fair or accurate. But a wide variety of people were able to get funded at relatively modest, by today's standards, modest levels. 
um, to, to do their thing. And what has happened over time is that um, the, the new people, the independents, are having a much harder time of it. And it's really the big companies who either have had success already on Kickstarter, so they're big from the context of Kickstarter, or they're big companies already known and successful that are just plunking their things down onto Kickstarter. So uh, my opinion is that it has largely become, in the context of, of board games, a pre-order service. Um, for legal reasons, Kickstarter hates that and doesn't want people to talk about it that way. Um, but that's what it is. I mean, you know, it's um, it's largely people who, who know their things are going to get funded, put them on Kickstarter to get a lot of upfront um, cash behind their product um, and do a lot of pre-sales. There's a very, it's very rare now that somebody's an independent doing their own thing and they have a very successful campaign. So in that vertical, we've very much seen it go from a hobbyist thing to just another channel of direct sales. Yeah, that's interesting. That um, sort of maturity model for at least that gaming vertical seems like it would be a, 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 a harbinger of what would happen in other verticals. Um, when I was <clears throat> looking at uh, uh, some research into synthetic biology uh, uh, projects for my Design for Emerging Tech book, uh, one of the sort of game-changing uh, projects that, that was actually crowdfunded was, was called Glowing Plants. And it, it changed the, you know, the whole model of, of crowdfunding, actually, because um, Kickstarter basically got very, very nervous about funding a synthetic biology project. So uh, listeners, if you're not familiar with this, this particular product, what it is is a small plant that will provide uh, sort of ambient lighting at night uh, via a um, uh, sort of natural uh, uh, phosphors or, or what have you resident in the plant. But it's this plant was created, uh, it's not naturally occurring. It was created by a, a synthetic biology process, and they're basically selling you the seeds um, so that you can grow your own glowing plant and, and then maybe have... Uh, you know, the equivalent of a nightlight that is organic. Uh, so, so that made Kickstarter, um, you know, as I said, nervous. And, and they decided that you couldn't have biological uh, organisms that were uh, sort of the, the result of a, a, a sin bio process. You couldn't have those um, as rewards for Kickstarter campaigns anymore. And so this, this first sort of highly notable project also became the last highly notable uh, project to be funded on Kickstarter in, the, in that fashion. And so what I want to point out here is that here's like the, the, the bleeding edge of technology, certainly in the sort of early independent creator uh, segment that you described in, in your experience. And these guys uh, got so much notice so quickly that it, it actually undermined their, their whole vertical. Um, yeah. And I mean, they got, I, I, I believe they got their money uh, to go and do their project, but uh, essentially you had an up and coming technology that uh, made the status quo uh, want to jump ship rather quickly. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on that, Dirk? Yeah, it's another example of how, you know, this this new platform gets sucked back down to the lowest common denominator of our society. I mean, legal concerns um, 
really undermines so many things in, in our lives in ways that we've just come to take for granted and accept, but are. And, and we've seen already with Kickstarter now, recently there was the first successful prosecution where um, a creator has to give back money and pay all these penalties and all, all this stuff for a real creator. It wasn't a scam. It was a real person who, through you know ignorance or um, incompetence or something, uh, completely failed to, to deliver. And now they've been you know they've they've been thinking of court um, and they've been successfully uh, litigated against. So now that becomes the holy Christ. We have to protect against that happening. Um, a sort of limit changer. And that's why I joked, you know, earlier when you mentioned about the, the this, you know, the recently failed, um, you know, now it's it's time for the the, the lawsuits to come in. Um, so it's I, I do think that the the legal process and legal considerations are what are going to always keep this from being truly interesting and um, I don't know have have the potential to do exciting and extraordinary things. It's just getting sucked right back, uh, you know, back to the mean. Yeah, I think so. So what what excites me still about about crowdfunding more as as a model and less the particular platforms that we're discussing today is that it connects, um, you know, creative class individuals uh, with a resource and the leverage from that resource, namely money and backers and uh, influence, presumably, uh, that they would not have otherwise. And that gives sort of the. Uh, independent, the, uh, um, you know, explorer, creator, uh, that much more leverage to make their idea happen. It's the same kind of uh, intellectual model that that uh, people can leverage with Creative Commons and, and open source, right? So you're taking a, an open system and you're able to pull some value out of it, whether it's IP or in this case, money and backers. And it fuels the the forward progress of, um, you know, whatever your endeavor happens to be. And I think that's important because uh, as as knowledge workers and as creative class individuals, we're still really forming the sort of the group types, the organizations, the associations, the way we work together uh, in the 21st century. So we're we're very much held to 20th century um, architecture for organizations, corporations, etc. And you actually made some reference to that, I, I, I think, with, with the lawsuits, right? So all the laws are sort of geared towards, um, you know, uh, industrial age thinking, right? Yeah. All the contracts, all the, all, the, all the organization. And what I see in crowdfunding, you know, com- sort of combined with, uh, you know, what I see in open source and creative commons is this... Uh, a different approach that is, I think, indicative of the direction that we're going as knowledge workers. So there are certain aspects that are uh, of, of knowledge work, which are now sort of free for the taking, or I'll put that in quotes, uh, because you're really leveraging what other people have, have given you. But um, you have this virtuous cycle. So if you're funding something of mine, I'm more likely to fund something of yours. And, uh, you know, if I'm using a piece of uh, open source code, maybe I'm more likely to return code back to the, uh, uh, back to the source um, and help other people out. So I see these uh, virtuous cycles as being part of the future of creative class work. And, and that's what's got me excited about uh, crowdfunding in the near, near term, even though 
uh, or rather in the long term, even if in the near term we have these uh, remnants of 20th century thinking that we still have to cast off and that may cause quite a deal of pain, you know, in, in the coming years as people get uh, dragged into court for not fulfilling all their crowdfunding obligations. Do you have any specific vision or conception of what this next generation crowdfunding might look like? I, you know, I, I don't specifically have that other than I, I do think that um, when you see uh, sort of larger entities, whether they're um, open source organizations or, 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 or take uh, uh, Linux, for instance, um, Linux sort of got its um, bona fides when it started getting uh, installed all over the place on on corporate servers, right? For lack of a you know sort of better measure for it, right? Yeah. So so Red Hat Linux is going up against IBM. It's going up against all the all the uh, big guns that have their proprietary systems, and even IBM, I'm sure, deploys Linux now. Yeah. So when crowdfunding, as you point out, you know some some. Uh, uh, large organizations are getting into crowdfunding, but when it becomes a de facto way of whether it's pre-ordering or testing the market or what have you, when it becomes part of the language of um, both sort of the, the small guy and the big guy. So yeah. so you and I can go out and get a, a Linux uh, installed on our laptop for, for no money whatsoever. And so so there's still all that goodness for for the individual uh, in that in that OS, just like there is for the uh, um, uh, for the big guy. So so I think receiving some buy in from uh, larger entities is really going to make crowdfunding um, a much more powerful thing. And I think that will cause uh, a couple things to happen. One, you're not just going to have these brand name uh, crowd uh, crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter. Um, you know, it might just run through your bank or something like that. It might just be another way of, you know, you've got your digital wallet or something and, and, and crowdfunded dollars just, you know, go into that. Well, Kickstarter's main role isn't money acceptance, it's marketing, right? Sure. Kickstarter, I mean, awareness is the big thing Kickstarter offers. What would the awareness model look like in a post-Kickstarter reality? Yeah, I mean, as it becomes more of more of a, a commodity, that's you know, that's an excellent point. That's the other the other half of the equation. You've got the money, and then you've got the the backers, right, yeah. and the influence. Um, so, so yeah, so so that's that's a terrific question. I I don't know the answer to, but but I think that the promise is there for sure, and and it might be some you know some multi platform solution. So, so you've got, if you're, if you're a creator of audio, you have all sorts of different avenues where you can distribute your digital music right now. It's not just iTunes anymore, but iTunes sort of broke through and got people to buy digital music. So now you have things like Bandcamp, you know, you, uh, YouTube is starting their, uh, audio program. You've got, um, you know, I think SoundCloud is going to be, uh, uh, or, or at least, uh, uh, providing the audience side of that uh, for for audio creators, so I think diversity in the ecosystem will will help to uh, get creators uh, um, a little bit more of that exposure that you're talking about. Even if the uh, uh, the money side of it, who knows, you know, who's going to be handling all the finances of that? Uh, but but I definitely think there's so much potential here and as an organizing principle uh, for for receiving money for creative endeavors. I, I think this is the way things are going to go. Well, it's excited to hear you so jazzed up about it. You know, I mean, I, I would say I'm a little bit jaded about 
crowdfunding, not in a bad way particularly, but mm -hmm. certainly the early enthusiasm I had about helping the, the proverbial starving artist is years in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen it now as just this very, again, transactional pre-order type system. So, you know, hearing some of your bigger ideas and optimism for where these platforms could go <laughs> is, is really exciting. Thanks. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. -T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D Niemeyer, that's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R, or email me Dirk at GoInvo.com. So that's it for episode 129 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.